broadcasting under the night sky from the edge of an undisclosed jungle on the Gulf of Mexico. I'm Christopher Garitano, your voice in the night. For the next hour, allow me to be your guide into the bizarre unknown, the fantastic macabre, and together we'll journey to that borderland between fiction and reality, a place beyond all rational explanation. We are now off to the witch. What is this place? This was their burial ground. Whose burial ground? McMack Indians. I brought you here to bury Ellen's cat. Why, for God's sake? I said, why, Judd? I had my reasons. Soil's thin. You'll manage. That was a scene from the 1989 motion picture, Pet Cemetery, written by the mighty Stephen King. Adapted from his own novel, it's a story about bad ground and how it consumes a family in Maine, USA. In folklore, the message is consistent. All that inhabit and tread upon sour soil are doomed by the mysterious and ancient energies that flow beneath. We all grew up with campfire tales like this one, and Stephen King himself revisited the theme many times, including his 1977 novel The Shining, about a Colorado hotel and a family doomed by its power. The stories often regard native burial grounds and trespassers who disregard warnings that the very land is cursed. But what most don't realize is that these fictional yarns are inspired by real accounts. Tonight, our guests will tell us their experiences with bad ground in a remote town in Pennsylvania. Maybe you should leave the lights on for this one. I'll return after a commercial break. After these messages, we'll be right back. What is this place? I brought you here to bury Alan's cat. Daddy, is church all right? Why, Judge? I have my reasons. I dreamed he got hit by a car, and you and Mr. Crandall buried him in the pet cemetery. What did we do tonight, Judge? What we did, Lois, was a secret. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Has anyone ever buried a person up there? May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. You're thinking thoughts best not thought of.
Welcome back to Off to the Witch. I'm your host, Christopher Garitano, and tonight's guests are a couple who have both had near-death experiences, worked in the medical field, and in law enforcement. They found each other in common interest and together forged a mission to not only understand the dark side, but to transform it and help those who are unwillingly consumed. Serenity Jenny and Dave Spinks both believe that there are demonic energies consciously affecting human beings and destroying lives. They recently spent weeks at an undisclosed location in Pennsylvania. It holds a long history of murder, tragedy, and despair, dating back to the macabre happenings amongst a Native American tribe. They both claim that there is no proper explanation for things that have occurred at the location over the years, other than something from unknown realms. So here's my interview with Serenity Jenny and Dave Spinks. Were you ever in a place that had kind of a, an archaic or ancient history to it in terms of, of history and in terms of, let's say, American history? Uh, that you felt it left a major impression on that land. Were you ever an explorer of those places before the location you're about to tell me about? Oh uh, yeah, Christopher, I've, I've explored many places uh, that fit that bill, so to speak. Um, one that comes to mind is one of the early places in my early childhood that we used to go on family vacations. It was called Mesa Verde in Colorado. And then it was a, uh, of course, a native uh, location where uh, the Anastasi people were located and they built these massive um, cities under these giant cliffs and things. And um, there was just so much energy there. And there's there's been a lot of uh, people go in there scientifically and document anomalous things on the ground and in inside the uh, rock caves and everything. And, um, you know those people, they still don't know what happened to them to this day. It's like the whole race of that particular um, people just up and disappeared. So it's a fascinating story. Um, another one would be the um, house I uh, investigated in uh, Wilkes Bar, PA, known as uh, we called, I called it Wicked 46. And I wrote a book about it because it's another one of those places that has ancient Native American ties um, and the Shawnee and a whole bunch of several other tribes would grow their medicine there in the, in the waters there, you know, they they had their medicine gardens. And, um, when the Europeans came over, there was many wars fought there and, uh, the, the native people were all but run out of there. Um, and many were killed and many on both sides were killed, but the natives were all but ran out of their, of their, um, sacred, uh, medicine garden areas. And, their graves were desecrated. They, I mean, to this day, they built that, that house was built on top of native American graves. And I think that has a big influence on some of these negative type haunting locations because they've basically desecrated those ancient uh, sacred lands. And, you know, a lot of native tribes put elemental guardians on those lands and they, uh, when people desecrate them, um, they don't like it very much, and a lot of bad things seem to happen in, in these locations. And I wanted to speak on that for a second, because in a lot of cases, anybody that disregards a burial ground or a sacred place almost scoffs at it, laughs at it. Uh, there are occasions where bad things happen to those people following 
the actual desecration of the graves, which leads me to believe in a lot of cases, if you can gauge that people like that make the decision to destroy these things because they don't believe, they don't believe that anything could happen to them. And so how would you explain something following? Let's say a group of people come and just destroy a a grave site, especially a spiritual culture like the natives, the Native Americans, and something happens to them after. What is that? What what exactly is happening? Well, it's not to say it's going to happen in every case, but we know there are literally thousands of documented cases from around the world where people have come into an ancient site. Um, you know, a, a couple I can think off the top of my head right now. Um, how many people have we heard about that go to Hawaii and they bring back uh, some of the lava rocks from um, from the volcanoes there, and all of a sudden they have all this bad stuff happening in their lives, and they can't figure out why. And then, I saw it in the Brady Bunch. <laughs> yeah, and that's a true thing. I mean, that that's happened to literally hundreds and hundreds of people, and they end up sending those rocks back to Hawaii and asking somebody with a note, can you please put this back for me? Because since I took this, I've had all this bad stuff happen in my life. And in a lot of the cases, when they do that, then they that goes away. Um, there's been countless cases of this over the years documented from around the world at Aboriginal sites, at the, you know, and Hawaii and in Native American sites to boot. So, you know, what is it, you know, what is it that's going on here? You know, as an investigator and a researcher, we have to take all those things into accounts, um, of causes of possible hauntings or poltergeist or type activity, or even worse, you know, uh, people have claimed to have been killed when they desecrated a location, you know, uh, and come to these really, just uh, horrible accidents and different things like that, you know? So, um, you know, it's all depends on what your belief system is. I guess you can chalk it up as coincidence or you can chalk it up as you really ticked off some sort of ancient spirit or guardian of that land of some sort. But what, you know, what do you think it is that, and of course, like elders, many generations ago believed in these things. This was not uh, entirely argued. It was, it seemed to be a part of life. These are just things you believed in. Normally, I think more so than now, or at least in the last, I don't know, 100 years or so, people seem to move away from that spiritual perspective. What do you think it is that people moved away from that perspective and ignored it, even though throughout that time period, things would happen and people are just so quick to ignore or dismiss something? What what was it that you think was introduced that more people adopted that perspective of ignoring things or just kind of dismissing it away and, and disregarding the supernatural? Well, you know, we, our generation, so to speak, you know, um, we were, you know, our parents had their beliefs and little things that they did that were superstitious and we don't do this and we don't do that because of this. You know, when you're Irish, you know, every, when someone would die, they would cover up the mirror, any shiny surfaces in the house because they believed that evil spirits would come and take the spirit of their loved one through those shiny surfaces like mirrors and windows and different things. So everybody has their own cultural belief system and it's in, it's ingrained in us for many generations because that, you know, that, you know, certain things are just taboo. We just don't talk about those because it brings it closer to us or we just 
you know, this is what we don't do in our family, you know, and it could be a whole plethora of many different things, depending what your cultural background and those teachings that have been passed down generation to generation to people. Sure. Um, Many of us still very much believe in these things or in touch with the spiritual nature of things because we've seen evidence of it personally. And there's, there isn't anything that some government suit could tell me that's going to discourage me from believing the things I've experienced myself or anyone else for that matter. And I'm sure you feel the same. Jen feels the same. Um, but why is it, do you think there's, and this is a topic I've brought up before. Do you think there's some kind of influence to move people away from that spiritual nature perspective to conceal it or hide it or keep it from us over a period of years? Some people believe this. Sure. I, I do believe that. Um, cause we know that native Americans, they, they had a knack for finding, um, sites to put these, uh, special grounds or burial grounds or, um, sites where they had a higher energy. They could read that energy, that frequency, right? So they would p- put those burial grounds or their ceremonial places on those spots for a particular reason, because they could actually interpret the energy there. And they knew that that was a special area. They have a, you know, some cultures have a very distinct knack for, uh, knowing these things and it's ingrained in them, um, for many, many generations. So, um, you know, I take it to heart when a tribal elder tells me, Hey, you don't want to go in there. It's bad juju. You know, you just don't go in that area. And it's, you know, they know these things and I listen to them because I've had some crazy experiences, you know, uh, doing what I do. And that, you know, that's the thing with what we're talking about today. Um, I'm known for really immersing myself into some of these locations to try to get to the base or the root cause of what's actually going there. And sometimes it's to my own detriment. You know, I've had attachments from some of these locations, but I, I feel that, you know, by really spending a significant amount of time in a location, you know, not just your run of the mill, um, you know, paranormal guy who uh, goes in for one night and tries to document evidence. I think by going in there and living in there for 24 seven for a number of days in a row actually puts you in the same situation as say that homeowner that may be living there. Um, that's experiencing this stuff on a daily basis. You have, you're more apt to capture something, uh, that's unknown or something that's going on that those, uh, same people are experiencing by doing that because you're in there more time. It's common sense. You know, the more time you spend in a place, the odds are going to go up that you are going to capture some phenomena. And that's why I think it's important to do these type of things. Sure. And, and I trust that, you know, after listening to you and, and knowing your story, uh, that you're a believer in these other realms, that you believe in a spirit, you believe that we move on to another place. And my, I think a question that's on my mind right now is that knowing that some negative things could happen to your detriment with you visiting these locations, why do you do it? Well, for me, you know, it's kind of like my mantra, (laughs) you know, it's like uh, some of man's greatest unanswered questions, so to speak. And I want to show the public or share with the public what I've experienced and what I know to be real and what I feel to be real, because I think it's important because we are all trying to reach a higher level. 
you know, a lot of most people are walking around with their heads buried in the cell phone and they're not paying attention to their surroundings or anything else spiritual or, or anything else of the sort because they're concentrating on the nine to five job, the kids, you know, the whole, the whole, as Jen likes to call it, the 3D world. <laughs> I'll use some of her lingo, but, um, you know, and it's true though. How many folks actually go out? I know you are probably like I was because we, we come from pretty much the same age group and same generation. We used to play outside all the time. Like we would get in trouble because we wouldn't come in for dinner when the light, when the street lights came on. All the you know? time in the snow. Yeah. Summer and, nights all the time. And people just do not do that for the most part anymore. They, it, you know, the world has changed significantly. It actually takes both parents working full time to raise a family and pay the bills. Now it used to be in the old days, you know, it was one parent, a single parent would do most of the uh, working and the other parent would stay home if that was the case. But, you know, it's just not as like that anymore. And, you know, growing up the way I did, I mean, we were outside and we, we noticed things, you know, we, you know, and, and, you know, going back to, we're all trying to reach a higher enlightenment, a higher frequency, as Jen calls that too, right? So by knowing things, knowledge is power. So the more we know and the more we concentrate on our environment and these undocumented type of paranormal phenomena, supernatural happenings, the whole nine yards, I think it adds to our knowledge base and then lets us be where we're supposed to be as human beings. I think we've been, you know, and that's a whole nother rabbit hole we could go down. We've been lied to for generations and we haven't been told the whole truth. So I think it's three of man's great, you know, for me, it's, you know, three of man's greatest questions. What happens to us when we die? Are there unknown creatures walking among us? And uh, are we alone in the universe? And that's why I put myself in these predicaments because I'm trying to find a little piece to that puzzle. And, you know, it's fascinating to me when I capture some true paranormal or, you know, some unexplained phenomena that you just can't recreate scientifically. Right. And that is, this is my, my last question before we get into the history of the story and the location that you've recently explored. But here's the thing, and you just said it, you know, why, why, what is it that they're trying to get us away from? And they are getting us away from it. And unfortunately, very soon, and I mentioned this today in a post uh, in regard to a previous episode about the Polybius game. Many years ago, it was said this game was introduced to begin to control the minds of its player. A lot of people don't believe it. But we're on the precipice of everyone just about accepting, we're on the precipice of everyone just about accepting a chip into their brain uh, from a procedure. You're in and out the same day. And eventually, within a decade, I'm sure, it's going to be no different than the science fiction matrix movies that have been presented to us or a multitude of other stories that are like that. Whereas anything spiritual, anything you're existing or experiencing, mostly all these new generations and many people from our generation and beyond are going to go into this thing because the temptation is going to be too great. Too many things for them to experience will be available in that world and they will release do you think that is the end of spiritualism for the people who will accept that and go into that world? Well, <laughs> that's a great question. And that's a, a great observation because, you know, um, if you're a Christian and you read the Bible, they, they have all talked about in the Bible for many years about the mark of the beast. Okay. Getting put on you, whether it's a tattoo, some kind of symbol or whatever. 
So if you subscribe to that, um, then you could consider putting a chip in your brain, the same type of thing, because you've, you're actually, you've given up all control of yourself because let's face it, if they can put a chip in your brain and they want to control you, they're going to control you. So, um, and that's really like a nightmare scenario to me. There's no way if I'm alive, I will be getting a brain put in my or chip put in my brain because I would not want anybody to have control over my thought process or my physical body in any way, shape or form. I feel the same way, but unfortunately the majority of the population are going to accept this and mostly out of temptation. The other part, it's the, the sale, the sell to you is going to be, well, we can cure just about any illness. We can enhance your brain, your intelligence. We can cure Alzheimer's. We can cure tinnitus. We can cure uh, neurological diseases of variety of large spectrum. That's going to be really hard to resist. Yeah. And that takes away, like you said, the whole spiritual side of it, because people believe that uh, a higher power or we can heal ourselves now. Um, so you know, if you take that away, are we giving up everything? So I, you know, for me personally, yeah, I would be giving up everything if I would do something like that. And I probably just couldn't, I say, well, if I die early, I die early, you know, whatever. Sure. Would you see that as the equivalent of selling your soul? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when I was in the military, you know, they were talking about giving us these under the skin chips. Um, so we're, if we're on the battlefield and we, you know, say we get blown apart, they can scan that chip and they know who you are if there's nothing recognizable left of your body. But it also would carry all your medical information. So the battlefield medics could scan that chip in you if you were wounded or whatever. And they, and they you know, they had your whole history right there on the battlefield. So it's a great idea. But who, who who's to say the powers that be aren't going to abuse that idea, you know, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, there are those out there that would abuse something like that and, um, you know, to control people or to, you know, take people out. Who knows to say who's to say that there wouldn't be some kind of uh, poison in that if they didn't like what you were saying or doing, they could just activate it and it blowed up in your inside your body and you're dead in 10 seconds. I, so, I would leave that 100 percent, especially with the bad guys in charge. And currently they're they're in charge. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, th so that's an interesting thing because the world of the burial ground and the ideas of desecrated land and very spiritually charged land, you know, once you go within this matrix, all of that disappears and nor will you ever care about it again, because now you're just going to be this physical thing linked in to this temptation. The temptation could be all of the above. Like I said, it, it could be anything, anywhere, anybody, any interaction. Your entire world is going to exist just to be part of that thing. And it's been predicted in science fiction, like, like most science fiction, it was prophesized. You know, this, the, the modern prophets are science fiction writers, in my opinion. Um, so. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so, but... I think it could be changed and through information, through letting people know what's coming and just for people's discipline. But in the case of getting in touch with that spiritual world, it's not always so uh, serene. It's not always so beautiful and bright. 
in your case, you go into places to experience the spiritual world because it's part of your life's journey. You want to experience things on the darker end of things to understand. I'm pretty sure about this, right? I mean, that's... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Especially in my past. In my past, I was really, uh, you know, I was in search of that good and evil scenario that we hear about in movies, read about in the Bible, you know, um, and, and so on and so forth. So um, I wanted to show people that, you know, hey, there's spirits all around us at all the time. Some are good, some are bad. Some are not human spirits. Some are entities that are never had a human soul, you know, and they are put upon us to influence us and do other things um, because it's all part of who we are. You know, it's um, in my opinion, you know, and, uh, we are influenced to make bad decisions because we're humans, you know, and, uh, w- unfortunately people are very easily manipulated, uh, in various ways. So, um, I was just trying to document different things and show people, Hey, I had these experiences as a young man. It changed my life. Now I want to show you in any way I can, whether it's in audio recordings or video that there's some really crazy stuff all around us at all times. And, and, you know, here, here's, here's where I was. This is what I was doing and check out what I got, make up your own mind, but this is it, you know, and, um, using my reputation, people trust me and they know I would never, um, resort to trying to fake any kind of evidence. And I've done live investigations. I was like probably the second person to ever do live investigations and people were right there experiencing what I was when I was experiencing it. And I've done hundreds and hundreds of those on YouTube for years. Um, uh, when I was making a name for myself and then I started making a name for myself even further, um, by spending extended amount of time in these notorious haunted locations. Do you think, do you think a lot of archeologists have experienced things that, that are tantamount to what you've experienced in places? Cause they go to so many ancient ruins and they go into pyramids and they go into, hidden or lost cities. And you would think that they would, even though maybe they keep it quiet. I mean, I know like even anthropologists and and people believe in Bigfoot, uh, Jane Goodall supported the theory. Um, you know, Jeffrey Meldrum, all these people in the, in the scientific world believe in these things. I've, I've read books that were written by surgeons that believe in the afterlife, you know? Uh, so, there, it's not like it's always. It's not like it's always people who have no credibility making these claims. Right. The majority of us have probably had experiences, everything from the psychic realm to the spiritual realm, to what might be hiding in the you know in the stars above us. And I think that's the gist of all of these conversations we have, the, the things that inspire us from our youth. But then it's like some of us. You know, I know it seems like some of these guys that are out there making these television shows are out there just to seem like it's for sport, that they're going into a demonically haunted house and it's a cool thing to do. I think a lot of that is staged, but in some cases, in the case of the recent location that you visited, it could be dangerous. And I want you to tell me a little bit about, a lot about that. Can you first give me a history uh, about this location and how you found out about it. And I know that you don't want to let people know specifically it's, it's, it's location. And I understand that. Um, but as much information as you can give without revealing exactly where it is. 
Yeah, it's in. Um, so uh, the case was brought to me by Jen. It was her case. It's people that live in the area that she's been treating. And I'll let her tell you more about that when she comes on. But, um, you know, it's a it, this one's kind of different because it's 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 actually not just like a, a specific house or anything. It's an area of about two or three square miles area where an just an highly unusual amount of suicides, murder suicides, pedophilia, just uh, just a ton of it, drownings, all this really bad energy and death has happened in this little tiny community. And uh, it's so it was so unusual when she told me about it. I was like, oh, yeah, I, you know, I definitely want to go check it out and see what we can get. And, um, you know, it's and, and she can fill you in on some more of the, the numbers and stuff um, because it's an ongoing investigation right now. We've already spent an entire month up there um, and uh, and we have more days to go yet. So um, but when you when you run into a place that has so many things and then, you know, what really spiked my interest was they in the in the woods right there, they found uh satanic like black magic uh, paraphernalia for rituals and all kinds of other things that you know as a paranormal investigator i'm looking for those signs because that's you know that's one telltale sign that there's some there was something most likely conjured there when it was conjured there we don't know because these deaths and these incidences and and then again native american ties it's got the early quakers there it's got, you know, European settlers who all brought whatever they were doing over there. And so there was. Let's, let's break it down to story. Like if, if I were sitting around a campfire right now and you <laughs> wanted to tell me the story about this place and because uh, you're really good at this and I, <laughs> I want to I frame it out that way for the audience because I think it's going to grab them completely. Uh, first of all, you mentioned that there there's a history of everything from murder to pedophilia. Are you suggesting that, I just want to clarify, you're suggesting that everything in modern times has those things happening. So something that's, that is permeated into the ground, whether it be energy or its own history, has an influence on anyone in that area? Yeah. So let me go back further. So after Jen told me about this location and what was some of the stuff that has happened, and we've been finding out even more since we've been there. Um, she took me over to meet the people that own the property. First time I've ever been there to their house. Um, never met them before. So I go, I go into the house and we're talking to a woman with Jen and everything. And I sat down on their couch and I kid you not within two to three minutes, I was passed out like a light on the couch. I wasn't tired or anything. And I went into this weird vision and I, you know, it was really profound. It was in color. And I saw these people that looked like they had, I don't know, Pilgrim or Quaker type clothes on. It was at night. They were around a fire in a circle. They all stripped off naked. And then they put on these black robes and they had these bowls and they were doing some type of ritual. And they began passing this chalice around that looked like it was blood and they were drinking it. And then I snapped out of it. And I was like, what in the frick just happened? And it was like I had some kind of weird, you know, visual, just vision of what occurred there way back. 
And as we, you know, that was the first thing that happened to me personally at the, at the place. And I'd never been there before. Never met the people. Didn't even know the history. I just want to ask you quick, does that happen a lot when you go to a location? Do you no, know? this, this just now is, that was just now this stuff started happening to me. Okay, and, wow. um, I was like totally freaking out about it. And I was like, what just happened to me? And, um, so as we spent some more time at the place, we had some other, we've been bringing other investigators and other skeptics in the place as well, um, just to get their take and how they feel. And, you know, what, you know, a beginning interview and an afterward interview to see if they had a profound experience that changed their life in there. And I, when we, we had the first group in there, we were doing some um, energy work and I was, we were sitting there meditating and I went into another weird vision where I saw this native American tribe and I got the feeling that they were ousted from their normal tribe because they were doing what, what basically amounted to black magic in the native American world. And they had their whole bodies painted pure white and they had these, even their hair, everything was white. And then they had these red stripes on them. And I saw them going from place to place, from tribe to tribe, killing people, and they were eating them. And then I snapped out of that one going, what the frick? This is bizarre. And it felt like I was there. It was so bizarre. So and, they, were, they were murdering other tribe members yes. and killing them, eating them, cannibals. Yeah, they were cannibals, and they were eating them. Uh, so in my opinion, going back to the whole ball of wax, and then we know there were satanic practices done there in these dark type of locations where very bad things happen, whether it's caused by black magic or whatever, that, you know, I believe that that, that type of energy or those type of uh, events stay there and they stain the very ground that it's on. And then it draws people there for generations to do the same type of thing. And I think, you know, this is just me, as an investigator and a researcher trying to put together the root cause of what could be going on here. Right. One thing that's, you know, and I was talking about this with somebody not too long ago, think about this and I'm sure you have, what was influencing the natives to do that? There must, it must be more ancient than that history. Right. So we, you know, we're going down the rabbit hole here going way back. So is this a, a one of those spots in the world, that for whatever reason has some really bad energy or maybe even, you know, a demonic presence there that is causing these things to happen. So, you know, as an investigator and a researcher, I'm trying to put a puzzle together, right? So I'm like, hmm, seems kind of weird that this has been going on for so many years, generation after generation. And we've got the river there. We've got all this stuff going on, drownings, um, pedophile murder, murder, suicides, suicides, and everything else, the whole ball of wax in this little tiny area. And there's just way too much of it to, uh, for it to be a coincidence. It's happening over and over again. Um, sure. It's like the scientific community, ha just some people on the fringes of it have said this type of effect on the human brain is a geomagnetic thing. The spiritual community uh, in some cases, call it demons, you know, and, and, and in other cases, they say, well, the ground is bad, just simply bad place. Right. Maybe all of the above are true because it's all perceived in different ways. Absolutely. So you have to look at those things and you have to think outside the box because just take a large city, for instance. Sure, you're going to have murder suicides and suicides and murders and pedophilia and all that. But this is a small community. And then the percentage of the number of 
you know, just outlandish deaths and murders and stuff are is, is astronomical per capita, right? So when you see a location that has this many tragic incidences and it's got just all this dark stuff going on, you have to look at it and say, what is going on here? Uh, it, and, it, and it's, and it's to, in my book, in my opinion, it's most definitely supernatural related. Definitely 100% in my book, because I've been doing this for 30 years and you only, you know, haunted locations are a dime a dozen, but when you come across a location like this, that has so much bad stuff going on, there's a supernatural or paranormal link to it in some way, shape or form. And sure enough, there is because there's, we know there was black magic, uh, artifacts found out there, um, ritualistic, uh, you know, items found in the woods, uh, we've got numerous drownings, murders, suicides, um, and we have, um, oh, also uh, someone had brought, okay, someone had brought murder, a victim, a, a murder victim's clothes from Pittsburgh many, many miles away and dumped in the woods there. Now, why would that, that's bizarre, you know? It's just like many locations throughout history. So it draws that dark energy. Is what sure, sure. And, you know, it's so fascinating to me. I mean, obviously, that's the theme of this discussion and this episode. And I am I think the issue with a lot of people is that they feel like you have to choose one perspective and that perspective would be the finite. In other words, well, scientific measures say there's large spikes in geomagnetic energy, so that must be it. But it's like, how do you exclude? There's much more to that. Of course, our our our, our instruments are going to measure something, but that doesn't mean that's the only thing that's happening. And I think so many people are just lost in giving something a finite explanation, which we don't have the capacity as human beings to do that. No, of course, there is a spiritual realm, and there is something else to this. You know, what was that? That movie, even you know, John Carpenter did a lot of his research, but believed in the Prince of Darkness, right? Yep, evil is living on a subatomic level that it could be measured. Evil is something that's real. And I've always been fascinated by that concept ever since I saw that movie. But way, way back, H.P. Lovecraft wrote about these things. So no, I'm a firm believer in in your experience there. And I think you're pretty brave for even spending a moment over there. I want to ask you, when you were there, did you feel violent? Did you have any dark thoughts? (laughs) <laughs> well, that's an interesting question you would ask that. So the first night there, we had, a, we had, like I said, we had people there and it was Halloween of all nights. <laughs> so, you know, I was testing another theory there. Uh, you know, is it true when the veil's thinner, you get more paranormal activity? You know, you gotta, you know, so I was double dipping, so to speak. Right. So, um, so that night, um, Everything was pretty good. Everybody had some experiences and everything. We didn't get a lot of equipment hits, you know, but we got some good EVPs and we got some other evidence in that realm. So the next day I woke up and I was just in the most foul mood you can imagine for no reason whatsoever. And uh, I think me and Jen argued for about four hours straight. And that's just pretty unusual for us. Uh, and it was over something stupid, you know? So what was I being affected, um, by something there? And I, I truly feel I was because she, you know, doing what she does, she's a, she's a holistic healer and everything and, and uh, many other titles that she has, but she threw me some frankincense, wasn't it? 
was it frankincense? Yeah, she threw me frankincense and told me to bless myself, and I did. And my my whole attitude changed in a, in, a, in just a few minutes. And I, and I am so interested in hearing Jen's perspective on this uh, forthcoming. You know, I I want to get your your experience first, and so that what you just said has happened a lot. I've read a lot of cases like that. People walk into a house, they're they're a fantastic couple, they're a fantastic family, and then you hear out of the blue, you know, the father killed his children and his wife. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yep. no one suspected that anything like that could have happened. And then they just right. brush it off. Like, well, maybe there was just a private conflict. Well, why not consider something else is going on? Um, you know, did the, and I know this is a, it's an old story, but it's a story I grew up with in, in my neighborhood, not far from my house, the Amityville house existed, the real one. And the Ronda Peo murders uh, were a very real thing. And it, it was said, and it's now folklore, that he was influenced by something to kill his whole family. There are so many different explanations of it. But again, we ignore that there might be something much more going on by saying, well, I was high. Well, I was really pissed off when I was younger. I was a bad seed. Yeah, but what does that mean? What's the deeper meaning and, and of that? And I, is that part of something that you're exploring? Yes, it absolutely is because in the uh, in the Wilkes Bar house and in my Willow's Weep house and now this place, we know for a fact that families that lived in these locations, there was a ton of domestic violence. There was people that moved in and moved out right away, leaving all their belongings. Uh, lots of the people that lived in these locations prior, um, not not specifically this one, but the Wilkes Bar house and and, and the Willow's Weep house. Um, people that didn't have drug problems or alcohol problems, all of a sudden they were heavy smokers, heavy drinkers, doing some drugs, stuff that, you know, just came out of nowhere. So in my opinion, doing what I do, uh, to me, that's a, a demonic or negative type of influence that's influencing these people to do harmful things. Because if you break it right down to it, the devil's greatest lie ever was, you know, told that he doesn't exist and his minions sole purpose is to seek and destroy families and gather souls. So if he, if they can uh, have someone become a major raging alcoholic or a drug addict and they OD uh, or drunk drive and kill themselves, Hey, that's one up on their belt. So that's the way I look at these things. And I, I firmly believe that there are specific demons in charge of that. And we could get into that on a whole nother show, but um, you know, they're, We've seen in that we've seen these similar type situations all over the country, all over the country. These places that have the, these unusually high amounts of activity that are all negative. And I'm a I'm a I'm a firm believer too, Christopher, that um, the the blood from these events stain the very ground and it pollutes the water, the land, and everything. It's just like this virus that gets into everything, including the people, and it totally destroys lives. And that's some of the stuff I do, you know, when I investigate and research these things, that's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm looking at, you know, and it, it's, it's really can be terrifying, but it's also fascinating at the same time, because, you know, you have to think outside the box. It, not everything in this realm or world can be proven scientifically.
After these messages, we'll be right back. The Shining, a masterpiece of modern horror, directed by Stanley Kubrick, starring Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall, rated R, opens Friday, June 13. Check newspapers for local listings. There's another level. That level's always been with us, you know, in just ancient times. Ancient people have wrote on walls, have carved on walls about the spiritual nature of things. We've always known it. And so I'm beginning to believe in there being a conspiracy uh, that is trying to keep us from that or remove us from that. And the end game would be completely signing on to the matrix. And I don't want to walk around paranoid. <laughs> I mean, there's an, you know, there's some weird stuff that's happened just in the last definitely year. like, you know, this place you would think, okay, we're going to get all kind of equipment hits going off and going crazy, but guess what? We really haven't got our equipment going off. Like we haven't got high EMF readings, but what we have had is personal experiences and, audio captures that are pretty phenomenal um you know we've got some audio of a woman telling us that we need to go home um one of the boys that lives in the house that we're using for like our center of base opera of operations um there was a boy that lived there that uh, committed suicide and we got him saying when we're personally talking to him directly we got him saying hey when i asked hey Say something, let us know you're here. And he said, hey, and it sounded like a young, younger man's voice. And in the opening of this second half, uh, I just want to give the audience an opportunity for some of those EVP recordings to be heard by this audience that, that Dave and Jen recorded at this site. And I'd like to play it at this moment, if that's okay. Yeah. And then uh, one thing I need to tell you too, is that the day I um, had a really just vile attitude, you know, uh, and I felt, you know, we knew something was affecting me. I also got really sick for a whole week. When did things kind of hit a fever pitch? Um, late that night, we had two groups. Well, we had two groups of people there. We separated a group into two groups. And one of the fascinating things we noticed right off the bat was both groups were in different areas of the location. And then when we came to the end of the night, a lot of the stuff both groups got matched up. And that was having them not knowing what the other groups were doing. So that's a very significant thing to go down because you have two separate groups of people, two different areas of the location, and they're both getting very, very similar type of evidence, whether it's through EVPs and equipment hits and, and different things. And we, uh, I didn't see it, but other members of both groups saw these little spark lights look like, you know, when, 
when a campfire is, uh, you know, when you see the sparks shoot up off a campfire, they were seeing that inside the house and outside of the house. So and, can you describe the location to me? Because I'm, I, I, when I was listening, I'm under the impression that everyone's camping out in, in the woods or something. So what, what is well, the location? It's, a, it's just a house out in the, it's out in a very rural area. Uh, surrounded by woods and fields and the house is uh you know just an old older type of uh farmhouse so an old farmhouse and there's a a lot of acres surrounding it is it isolated um so there's other houses around it but uh not a lot it's a pretty isolated area if you go you know if you drive down just the road a short piece less than a quarter mile it's all woods goes into the mountains and the river and it's just a very, very small community. Did anybody else in that community uh, talk about any bad? Well, you you had mentioned that, but did you were you able to talk to any of the neighbors or anybody like that? So Jen will fill you in on that because that's those she'll she'll fill you in. That's how it this all came about. So um, this was her part of her caseload of doing what she does, and I was brought into it because of what I do. Okay. So I guess I guess we could go back and forth a bit, and maybe we could start with Jen. Hi, Jen. Hey, Christopher. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having us on. Uh, thank you. This is awesome. Uh, this is the first time I've had two guests on at once. So, okay. How about you start by telling uh, me and the audience a little bit about yourself, your origins, where you were born, and... Um, maybe a profound experience that brought you in this type of, um, this field, this type of investigation, this, this interest. So I was born in Southwestern Pennsylvania. Um, I was born and raised there actually. I didn't even see the ocean until I was about 22. So very rural area. This actually is very close to my hometown. So I have had an extensive life history with my education. I'm a licensed professional counselor. I was a college professor for a short time. I am K through 12 guidance. I worked in law enforcement. Um, I ran two different one, number one centers. I think I had about a 20 year identity crisis, but along the way um, through there, I had five near death experiences. I, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease at age 19. And again, I didn't see the ocean until I was 22. They thought I had some exotic disease, but as I got sicker working on the ambulance, they realized it was Crohn's disease. But looking back now, um, that led me to my spiritual path. So I looked for alternative and holistic means to to treat and essentially cure that disease. However, I stumbled upon my own gifts, which were, you know, latent or dormant. Um, my mom was Native American, we're Cherokee and Blackfoot, and my dad laid hands. And I was just trying to grow up and be normal and be a therapist and a professor and have summers off and free tuition for my kid. But spirit felt that there were other things I needed to be utilized for. And it birthed a psycho-spiritual practice, so to speak. Um, I left drug and alcohol counseling. I did that for six years. I saw patients, you know, private practice-wise and taught at the college. I, I quit all those jobs in one day. Because I got a spiritual message that said, I am no longer in the right place and I need to use my gifts and combine them with my traditional education and I need to help people holistically heal. 
I was seeing holes in souls in rehab. I was seeing people's dead relatives. I was seeing their trauma points. I was seeing things spiritually that couldn't be explained via traditional counseling or how I knew some of these things. So all of this led me to where I am right now. And I am able to assist people, not only psychologically, emotionally, behaviorally, physically, but now energetically and, and spiritually as well. So in regard to this location now, all of the things you've learned and have been inspired by, directions you've taken, what's leading you to this location? And if you can tell me a little bit about the location, how how you found out about it, and then how that evolved from there into your investigation with Dave. So treating the experiencers of all things paranormal, extraterrestrial, I mean, I, I have quite a, a wrap usually around what I do in my practice. So I have a very niche practice. So people would seek me out for, they would stumble across me for traditional counseling needs. I would have to refer them to a, a colleague that does traditional mental health counseling. But I seem to attract quite a number of people from this same area. And when I started seeing the patterns, um, you know, different people having very different demographically speaking people. Ha- I mean, I can't give you too many case details, but I I was seeing patterns. And when I started seeing the patterns, I was like, whoa, this is way bigger than I've ever seen in my in my history. And I've been doing this for probably almost 10 solid years now. I call it coming out of the closet, like lightworker closet, being a psychic medium, treating people clinically and determining what came first, the chicken or the egg. Did the mental health symptomology come from being have an attachment, having some experience with energy, or did the mental health create a fracture or the trauma point create a fracture that something came into? That's so enigmatic. I don't, uh, I've thought about this. It's like, you know, I think it's, we've only understood so much of it. And obviously this is on your mind every day and on Dave's mind that it's, that you must consider something much greater than damage to the brain an anomalous, uh, you know, birth defect, chemistries, all of these things, of course, can be studied and and registered, but there's something much more there at its influence. Do you believe the influence is, and I can, dare I say, cosmic in nature, something beyond the realm of the earth or something that may have been talked about in ancient times or biblical tomes and that have have since been dismissed to just simply explain its chemistry and physiology? Well, it, it really has been my experience, Christopher, that if a, a client, I have a lot of children, I have a, a lot of children come to me, their parents um, are frustrated with the medical system, the educational system. And if we treat a child on a neurobiological level, and we medicate that child, we do behavioral therapy, and nothing helps this child, if we treat them energetically and spiritually, and they get better, what is that then? We've then, we've solved the problem energetically or spiritually. I mean, I'm a, I'm a four-time Reiki master. I'm a shaman. I have a, more credentials than I, I even care to explain at this point because it's so almost embarrassing, but I just kept trying to seek further knowledge and understanding why we weren't incorporating, and I'm talking beliefs, cultural beliefs from thousands of years ago. Why are we not incorporating spirit into our biopsychosocial analysis of this patient client who the, has this presenting issue 
that could be very well explained. You know, we can treat it non-invasively. We can help them, you know, cost effectively and there's no recidivism. So why aren't we incorporating this? And the answers are kind of staggering and very disappointing and disheartening because it's, it's big business at the end of the day. Of course. And the other thing is, you know, I'm assuming just from things I've read and understood over years and thought about that the psychological community might just simply try and, well, they, they would support this idea, but say, well, it's catalyst, it's placebo. And that's great because placebos work, but they're dismissing, they continuously, it's almost like they're bred to dismiss the idea that there's something else happening, something beyond our current comprehension. Maybe something that people way in the past understood, they didn't have any scientific register of it, but they understood it to be real. Am I on the right track? Absolutely. It's it's definitely um, it's we're not trained in any anything psycho spiritual in nature. I mean, I had to seek that. I did. I had to create a hundred thousand dollar educational path for myself after I had had a hundred thousand dollar educational path. So it wasn't a fun process to go find out what chakras are, what the energy body is. I mean. I heard you say earlier when you're talking to Dave about, I think you referred to a neurosurgeon with an afterlife experience. I actually met um, a man named Dr. Eben Alexander who had that experience. He wrote a book about it, Proof of Heaven. It's it's some of the earlier things I cut my teeth on because I was trying to explain this to my colleagues where I could see spiritual indentation, so to speak, in a person's energy field where their trauma points existed. And if I could just train other clinicians, it would help us so much help these these people who are suffering and they don't all need medicated. They have holes in their souls. Giving them a medication is 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 a moot point at that at that juncture in the treatment plan. They're not getting better from it. They're getting worse and we have other issues in symptomology now to treat. So it seems like more of your interest is less about proving because you know i feel like we have a lot of evidence that there's something much more going on here even even quantum science is starting to say hey there's there's other dimensions there's other things happening uh so it's less about proving it to you know the people on the news that'll come and give everyone permission to think uh as opposed to just going directly for the cure of the situation so you're attracted to this place that has as the as as the old ones, the elders will put it, just really bad ground. It's it's a bad place. You're attracted to this place. Tell tell me why and 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 where you go from there. So this, like I said, this was not far from my actual home where I grew up. And growing up around this area, it's an infamous area. A lot of deaths occurred. I did work in the ambulance in my hometown and in surrounding areas. I worked for nine one one in several counties. Um, I am aware on that level of all the tragedy that had happened. I was not aware of how concentrated it was. It was unbelievably horrifying when I started to plot this. And I just sat down in my center one time and I thought, there's too many people from the same road coming in here. That's really odd. And and I asked one of the, the clients that I had, I said, what do you know about this area? And there's a disturbing detail we're purposefully leaving out because it's a it's a it would it would mark the location, but a lot of children, a lot 
have been in this area. And it's disturbing on that level because there are children that were affected. Like I said, I can't give you the case details, but the families of the children that were affected that live on this road all agreed with me when I presented. I was like, there's something wrong here. So do I want to prove anything? Yes and no. One is that in the mental health community, a lot of these mental health conditions that were improperly diagnosed, misdiagnosed, misunderstood, this is a huge teachable moment that we could use and and say, hey, listen, you're missing the mark and here's why and here's the proof and here's the disembodied voices and the the scientific evidence. That's why I called Dave and I, I said to him, this is an opportunity for us to present something that really hasn't ever been done before. That's that's what we're trying to do with it, Christopher. We're trying to show people, hey, there's much more to to this stuff than people even realize. And we're trying to show it based off the evidence and what we know factually, you know. So. And see, it's such a powerful concept. And the story itself is as well. And the history you're about to explore. And yes, it does change things. If you can present questions, you know, and, and that's literally what I'm trying to do right now, just as an observer of your experience and your story is that I'm trying to allow the audience to just consider some things, you know, because so many people are susceptible to, if there is a distraction, they're susceptible to that distraction. And this conversation allows them to consider more, even of their own experiences. A lot of us have had, you know, uh, a lot of us have gone to a location and have felt terrible maybe worse than that. A lot of us have had an experience in a home where we may have seen something that shouldn't be there. And these, these investigations that you're both partaking in, they go further. It's not just, Hey, there's a ghost in here. How cool. It's, there's something much more to this. This land has been the center of some very horrible things throughout the ages who else would investigate this? You know, if it's not you, who who would it be that would take it seriously enough? Well, I think, Christopher, that this location is an extremely active area and it's it's a hotbed, so to speak, with activity. And so many different nuances and aspects can be teachable moments. And, you know, like we just said, leaving a legacy, leaving something, a spiritual imprint behind. So helping generations heal in families, helping understand what power we do have over our energy, over our spiritual body, and really just kind of using this. I mean, this is the first time, I don't even know if it's ever been done. This is the first time anybody's ever done anything like this. And really helping people evolve into their truth and their own knowing. So helping them define what gifts they have, what understanding they have, and maybe break some barriers along the way with the narrow and rigid ways that have been, let's just say, brainwashed into us. You know, I've, I've run into a lot of liars in my life, and they're, they're easy to recognize. Um, they seem too rehearsed. They have very few things to say in terms of detail, places, dates, locations, and they seem too intent on having you believe them. Whereas you have credible people throughout history that 
have witnessed the entire spectrum of the supernatural, and that includes beings from other planets, all of these things, you know, people in the military, uh, astrophysicists, uh, normal everyday people. And so it's hard to deny at this point, especially after the government has admitted to some of these things, and you have presidents and you have kings that have seen ghosts, okay? I mean, when are we all going to unanimously just say the supernatural is real? It's real. Okay. How much of it is real? How much of it has been made up throughout the years? And can we now reevaluate history? And if you can do that, the, the things that you're doing now, you're acknowledging that there might be these negative, I call them cosmic energies, whatever they are. You know, They could be from other dimensions, demons, however you want to perceive them. But you're saying that if we learn about them and figure out how they affect us, there is a way to deal with it and extract them or, or protect ourselves from them. Am I right about this? Absolutely. These are just like, you know, supernatural coping strategies, if you will. I mean, as a therapist, we teach coping strategies for anxiety, for relaxation, for stress management. Why can't we have a, a set of coping strategies to deal with energy, to deal with spirituality that, that is coming up, that is, it bubbles up in us because that is what we are. We come from some creator source, whatever that is. It's been proven that the body changes weight from 21 to 26 grams at the time of death, science has proven something's leaving the body. What is that? How can we develop it? And how can we teach our, our children and ourselves how to exercise that spiritual energetic body, just like we exercise our physical body? I, um, I agree with that 100%. I think when as strong and forward as you're coming, and you're coming from a place of a lot of research, and you know, sometimes I interview people that I um, I feel that they've they've read things and they've approached things, but perhaps maybe they didn't have the experience they're telling me. And I have that experience too. But I also have talked to people that I believe are one hundred percent credible, including yourselves. I feel like you've had the experiences that you say you have, and that your approach is very practical, especially when acknowledging. That they're that the supernatural is real. That these energies are are out there, whatever they are. I don't know what they are. I've 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 experienced some of them myself, and I don't. I can't put a finger on exactly what they are. I personally feel just after this many years that if I would just to stay in a neutrality in my explanation, and these things can be perceived as evil, whatever you want to call them, but. I feel like obviously we're we're living amongst many dimensions and I think we have invaders. They come in, they take advantage of us just like any parasite, any cellular parasite. These things behave the same way. They thrive on anger and fear, but that could eventually be measured scientifically. We we might say these are, you know, intergalactic dimensional parasites that attach to us that cause a lot of trouble. They were perceived through many religions as demons. They're one and the same, though, because it could be seen as evil. It has no care. It has no perspective on anything that we love. It just sees what it sees. Am I, does that make any sense, what I'm saying? Absolutely. I mean, you're you're basically describing um, what we call an interdimensional 
that is eating, you you said that correctly, it's consuming the lower vibratory levels that are being generated. And then you have to ask yourself this question, the last couple years, what in the world has humanity been feeding? The level of fear and hatred on this planet is an all-time high. The, the amount of incidences we have weekly, Dave would agree with this too, we get calls daily and weekly. We can't even keep up with things. We just can't keep up with the amount of calls. And if there wasn't a need, I wouldn't have a practice the way I do. He wouldn't be in demand the way he is right now because it's almost like it's it's so topside, it's in our faces. We should acknowledge it, learn from it. Contrast is some of the best teachers in the world. Like that's going to force us to step into our truth, into our abilities, and into our evolution and our ascension path. So in regard to this location, there's obviously something, and again, it can be perceived by this word, but we can call it demonic, something dark, something evil at its core that might be influencing all of the things that have happened there. Everything from native tribes devouring each other to murder, um, abuse, you know, oppression, everything that's happening in that location. Uh, do you believe that these entities or forces, whatever they are, have been an influence on this land and on the people that have, have lived there? Absolutely. I mean, one instance, somebody left that home and went and took their own life. In another instance, somebody was related to somebody in the home and went to a farm right down through the valley and took their life. This is not a coincidence. There, there's too many patterns that are being just brought to our attention and you, you can't ignore it. After you have maybe one or two, okay, we could probably attribute that to, to something else. But when you have four murder suicides in one two mile square radius area, that's too much. It's just too overwhelmingly tragic. And, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. So yes, there's something affecting these poor people. Yeah, because it's a microchasm in population Absolutely. size compared, you know, in a big city or a, a, a much more populated area. Eh, you could look at that, you know, numbers wise. Well, you know, you have this many people living in an area. So that's, you know, that's going to happen sometimes. But you're talking about a very, very rural area here with, with not very many people at all. And that's just a couple of the incidents. There's a lot more suicides uh, and everything else that's going on there too. So, you know, there's it's no coincidence. Absolutely not. There's no way. You know, these, these ideas have been considered. I've been thinking about this for years, years. Like, why is it that a loving family can just turn into murder, fighting, physical altercations, hatred, anger, revenge, all of that? just because it seems sometimes it's so abrupt in relationships. Um, and I remember seeing a program, I think it was on Solved Mysteries way back, and it was a new married couple moved into a house. And then soon enough, their relationship became vicious. And, you know, the gentleman that was explaining the story, he was the husband. Um, he eventually said that I just felt something was in the damn house as soon as we realized we weren't alone, we got out of there. And then their life improved after that. But they, 
he stopped in the middle of a really bad fight that could have gone into a place where, you know, somebody's life was taken and said to her, there's something in this house. We have to get out of here. Like just realize that there's something really dark and heavy here and we need to go. And I wonder, and again, people should take responsibility for their own actions, but I wonder if a good majority of cases like that were influenced by what you're saying is in that town. Well, you have to think about this too. Not too many people are aware that they are affected on that level. So, you know, I say we all have the ability to be psychic. That's the perception of energy. We have extrasensory perception abilities in addition to our five physical senses. So those five physical senses plus the seven psychic senses or extrasensory ESP senses, you know, clairsentience, claircognizance, clairaudience, you know, it goes on and on. Once they realize that they can perceive on all these other levels, life begins to change. And they are aware where as before, they were completely like blindside. They didn't know why they were acting the way they're acting, acting. They didn't know if they were empaths and they were channeling energy or a spirit or some sort of entity was influencing them. People are talking about the, this the, now. The word empath is almost commonplace and people are understanding slowly what that actually means. We have a lot of behaviors in kids. Children are just very empathic by nature and they're open 99% of the time, a child's cyclical behavior, if it is not being able to be treated with medicine and or behavioral therapy, they're running other energies. It's just, it's, it's fascinating. A simple term would be, a simple example would be, um, you know, we've all had that feeling where you walk into a place or you're somewhere and all of a sudden the hair on the back of your neck or your arm stands up. That's our built-in that's built into our human bodies. It's telling you something's not right here. You're picking up on it. We do, almost all of us have have had that at one time in our lives, if not multiple times. It's built into our bodies. Sure. Do you think that, let's say, leaders or powers that be are well aware of everything we're talking about, and that maybe absolutely. They, they, they hone their abilities. They have, um, I think it was President Reagan had 12 astrologers advising him. I mean, when you start looking and you know what to look for, it's in our faces. We just don't, we don't know what we don't know until we know it. Why do you think it is that people tend to scoff at these things? Well, maybe not so much these days. I think people are more open to these things these days. But there was a period of time where you mentioned you saw a ghost or you saw this or that. And, you know, general responses, you're crazy. Oh, yeah. I mean, from my days of doing this back in the day, you know, you couldn't talk about this stuff in the open. You'd be labeled as crazy, uh, a nut. You know, you'd be put in the, in the, you know, you have to go see a head shrinker, <laughs> whatever. Do you think that was by design, though? Yes. That response was put upon us. I wonder where that suggestion came because ghost stories are as old as human history. And right. But if you came out and seriously talked about this as, you know, oh, you know, it's a fun, scary little story, whatever. But if you came out uh, talking about that, you're studying this, you're researching this, people would label, you would automatically be labeled as a nut, right? So they have done this intentionally to keep us from the knowledge and then suppressing what we're supposed to know for many generations because it's all driven by money, power, and greed by the mainstream church. 
and those that be in power because they don't want us enlightened. They don't want us to know what we're supposed to know. Sure. And they would use the facade of science. In other words, they would say, well, if the scientific community hasn't analyzed it and proven it, it doesn't exist. And that's not exactly true. That's one perspective. That's one way of analyzing something. If you look at the labels Dave just threw out there, nut, crazy, go to the head shrinker. So I would be considered the head shrinker, right? Look at the criteria that we use to diagnose and who gave us that information? Where did that come from? I had an inability to diagnose clients, patients in my traditional counseling career. I had an existential crisis. I just walked into work one day and I thought, I can't diagnose people anymore. It was spiritual, it was energetic, and it was very profound. My nose even bled for 30 days every single day for an hour a day. My poor boss sent me to the hospital. I went to the neurologist. My, my energy was incongruent with what I was doing. I would give everybody the adjustment disorder diagnoses because I couldn't in any good consciousness place a diagnosis on somebody when I knew in, in my being, at the core of my being, I was giving them a self-fulfilling prophecy. The topic of this all being kept from us has been something that I've asked a few people so far on the show, probably in the last month. And just getting down to the idea or just opening our minds to the idea that we, you know, a lot of people feel like they can't be manipulated. It's like, guess what? You've been manipulated since birth, um, 100%. Even advertising, it's all manipulation. And so perhaps we were guided in many ways. And again, I'm a lover of fiction. I love fiction about these topics. I write it myself. Uh, but it seems the stuff that I'm writing right now has a very metaphysical approach to it and almost uh, quantum, in terms of quantum sciences, approaching it in that way because I take it as a real thing. Um, and I think maybe that's the future of this. And we were discussing our spiritual nature. Uh, you know, we were, it's, it's going to be on this episode, obviously, but la- yesterday when we were talking about this, we were just talking about the spiritual nature being removed from us by a piece of technology that would be installed in our bodies. And if this conspiracy is real, that piece of technology is going to be pushed upon us uh, and, and very in a very tempting way, in many different tempting ways, whether it be fixing medical issues or just you can go into the matrix and be whatever you want. You would say, I would say 90% of the population is going to dive right in. And so how do you feel about that? Because I think that could be a way of completely destroying the spirit. I absolutely agree with you. And I've, I've seen it happen. I mean, you know, from people getting paralyzed to not having um, neurological function. I mean, I've seen it in my clinic. I've seen it in my practice firsthand. So I can tell you that and I can attest to that, that their spiritual function, their cognitive function has been severely limited. In addition to that, I've had numerous people say to me after being vaccinated and coming and seeking help, I think my soul has been stolen from me. I don't feel well. I don't feel right. I can't perceive things like I used to perceive. I mean, I have tons and tons of case notes that say this, and I can't even write that in a clinical record because if my charts get audited, I'm going to be liable for that information. Now, going into these locations, and some of them are really 
charged with some bad stuff. And again, I don't know 100% what that bad stuff is, but I know these locations exist. I know houses where you can, as Dave was just explaining, you can walk in and you have this terrible, terrible feeling instantaneously. I used to install security alarms. And so I went to a lot of different locations just for a living. And I remember walking into this place one day and it was in a nice neighborhood and there was something wrong. There was something really off about that house. It was the minute I stepped in, there was no reason for me to feel that way. And it was even my partner that was there. His name was Stan. Uh, we, we, we wanted to stay outside as much as possible. There was something really bad inside that house. Don't know what it is, you know, and it could be very similar to what you're talking about. How do you, how do you go into these locations and not pick up you know, proverbial hitchhikers? So that's a really great question because a lot of people ask me that specifically in my practice and, and Dave too about how to protect your energy. So I've I've taken four different classes of of Reiki just because I was trying to understand my abilities with hand laying because my dad was a layer of hands. Like I said yesterday, my mom was Native American. So I had a lot of different cultural beliefs coming into play. So I was aware of energy at, at a young age and everyone has the ability to perceive, like we just said, and receive information. Receiving information is more like mediumship, but you know, there's a very simple tool that you can use to start feeling energy. And if, if something feels heavy or light, just like you said, you walked in and it felt off, it felt wrong, it felt bad. That's a heavy feeling, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's, I mean, you know, someone will say, well, your chemistry was off for the day and you just felt it switch like a mercury switch. You know, you didn't get enough vitamin whatever the day before and it just kicked in at that moment. That's what people would safely assume. Someone who is completely skeptic would just turn around and say that. And they don't even have the knowledge of that particular mechanism. They're just make, you know, they're making it up basically. They're, 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 they're brushing away that there's anything possible that, that could have happened in that house. And I think that's our biggest mistake. But yes, it's a very heavy feeling walking in. So when when you perceive that heavy feeling, you then have a, an entry in your dictionary, energetically, metaphysically. Now you know what that feels like. You have that energy signature in your body. That's an experience for you. That's why experiences are so very valuable. No one can take that away from you. That's your experience of that location. Now, as you have, continue to have experiences, you continue to write the dictionary. So you know what feels light, you know what feels heavy, you know what feels wrong or bad or incongruent or it makes you sick. As you're taking all this energy in, your body, your energy body metabolizes energy like your body metabolizes food. So once you start to learn that process, it becomes very easy. So, you know, there's protection procedures that we do with Reiki, with shamanism, with dowsing, I mean, you know, spiritually, we say prayers, we use oils. We probably have eight to 10 modalities, um, physical and or energetic that we employ to keep people's energy protected, going there, being there and leaving there without the hitchhikers. Yeah. So what I do, Christopher, is I've been doing this a long time. And before I even knew Jen, like I noticed after a significant amount of time of doing this, 
that I could literally walk into a place and I would feel if it was happy energy, sad energy, or mad or bad. And I was like, what is this? How am I doing this? And, you know, she just explained it perfectly. So, you know, when you develop those abilities, because you're doing what you're doing, it's like anything else. It's, it's exercising that part of your body, you know, and, and, and we can all do it. I, I truly believe that we can all do it. And, you know, it's, it's fascinating stuff. And, and when you walk into that place and you man, man, something really, this just feels so sad here. Something, a really tragic event happened here. And you have to pay attention to those feelings because your body's telling you, Hey, you know, this is a good place to start as an investigator. You're feeling this energy. So what do I need to do next to look into this? And as far as keeping attachments off of you, you know, Jen has a really good analogy for this. And, um, and, and I believe it to be a hundred percent true. If you are in a high vibrational space, right, your energy is high and good and you have good intent, those low vibing energies, i.e. demonic or negative spirits, they do not like that and they cannot resonate uh, as much into that uh, energy field, right? Is that you understand what I'm saying? I do. So, I, I, so, but I'm assuming they vary in strength. Was there ever a time, and, and each of you can take turns, tell me a time where you had to deal with the strongest negative energy. Wow, that's a really good question. There's a lot. <laughs> There's a lot of them, I mean, that have happened and to me specific. I'll speak on my part. Um, I, I feel that um, I've been a target my whole life for certain negative energies for whatever reason. I'm not sure. But uh, I've had three near-death experiences myself, okay? Um, so with that being said, uh, doing what I do now, trying to help people, those negative spirits or energies or, or demonic, demonic demons, whatever you want to call them, uh, they do not like us helping people because their whole mission is to destroy families, destroy people, and, and, and collect souls for the devil, right? If you subscribe to that forte. So uh, with that, and they feed off of fear, uh, grief, and so many other negative things, right? So that's their whole purpose uh, in the universe, I believe. So there has been some times like when I was in the uh, Wilkes Bar house where something, I got a really, really what's, bad uh, Just for the people that don't know, what's the Wilkes Bar house? Okay, the Wilkes Bar house is, uh, I wrote a book <laughs> called Wicked 46. It was a, an investigation where I uh, and a team of people went in for 30 days the first time, 24-7, lived in it, investigated it, and uh, went back. I went back three more times for two weeks at a time with the other guy. And uh, we really immersed ourselves into this situation, and it, it turned out very, very negative for me. Now, back in those days, I wasn't at the level spiritually that I am now. So I was more of a... Uh, coming at it from a law enforcement perspective, trying to document evidence, physically document the evidence that they, you know, we were doing there. And uh, I, I got a severe attachment from it and uh, it changed my life. My life went upside down for like seven, eight months, all this bad. I, uh, I, I had all this bad health stuff happen to me, uh, almost went financially ruined and all kinds of other things. And once I realized, holy crap, I have an attachment of some, something's attached to me causing this. I went and got blessed by a, a Catholic priest, and I'm not Catholic, uh, a Baptist minister and a Native American shaman. And I kid you not, within a week or so, everything turned around. So 
Um, and, and during that journey of that attachment, let me tell you, I had some of the most profound, just crazy dreams you can imagine. And, you know, things were after me in the dreams every single night, the same dream happened. And it was just totally bizarre. And, and I had to come to the realization that there, I had an attachment. And once I did that, uh, I changed a lot of things uh, about me and how I do things investigative wise now. And, and Jen, what was your heaviest uh, attack, let's say? The attachment that physically affected me the most, I, I feel probably would have to be, I was in my center, to be honest with you. And, you know, have this beautiful 2,600 square foot facility with some practitioners that I've trained, some other clinicians that I've trained, a full staff. And I was walking through the back room and I felt like a tentacle came up out of the floor and attached itself to my right butt cheek. And I'll be honest with you, it felt like I got harpooned or stabbed and I was hospitalized for eight days. Wow. And what, what, had, did, what did the doctor say? Happened. So I have Crohn's disease and I had 22 feet of my intestine removed when I was 19. That was one of my near death experiences. And I have an ilioanal anastomosis with a J pouch, which basically means I have an internal colectomy. And in the back of the colectomy, which is like a pouch inside my abdomen, is this abscess on the back of my pouch. And it, it wasn't there. They don't know how it got there. Um, and this is how we know it's supernatural. I, you know, I, I work with a lot of people uh, cosmically, metaphysically, spiritually, like they've said, I have everything from clergy to shamans to galactic surgeons. I mean, I have some pretty wild, um, assistance out there. So when I do get in trouble, I do have people to call. I have to ask for help. I have to know when to ask for help. You know, we all have a limit and I needed help. So they were about to put a drain, a physical drain in, in my right butt cheek. And I was hospitalized and the doctor, the surgeon said, I just want to take one more, one more picture. And I had been having everybody Reiki me and send me healing and working with all these people all over the world and shamans. And they took one more x-ray before they did the procedure and the abscess was gone. It was completely gone. So that's how, you know, it's paranormal in nature, supernatural because the physical, the physical condition failed to exist in moments. So, and that's just one story, but I will tell you, Christopher, another very scary story about an attachment energy. Um, it's probably the most profound to date that I have ever encountered. Imagine, if you will, two sisters that are very psychically connected. Both are teachers. One is retired. One is about 58 days from retirement. They both decide to attend a very spiritual seminar that I host periodically called CPR for the soul. Just get me back on your soul path, your purpose feeling joy in life and feeling connected to others that are like-minded. We usually have these at very sacred spiritual places. This happened to be at a Mennonite church camp, which is very close to my facility. I use often. It feels great there. They have a labyrinth. They have all kind of um, children's programs. It's just a great place. It's out in the woods. Uh, very, very beautiful there, right? And uh, these ladies waited till the seminar was over. I had sat there for about eight hours with them, ate lunch. We had a great day. There was probably only about eight or 10 ladies that came that day. And the one said to me as her sister's in the bathroom, she said, can you put your hands on my sister? She's dark. And I said, what do you mean she's dark? These are cute little church ladies. Their you know, sweaters match their shoes. They have their earrings in. They're just well put together women, very educated, very kind, loving, compassionate people. 
And we were working on soul fractures all day and, and really getting into our spiritual belief systems and, and in our truth. And I spent the whole day with her and I thought that there's no way this lady has an attachment. My God, it would have had to have hid so well. I didn't even perceive it the entire day. So she came out of the bathroom. And like I said, I've known him for 10 years. I put my right hand on her right shoulder and I said, hey, your sister seems to think you have an attachment. And I was laughing because I just, it was comical to me. I was like, they couldn't be in the seminar this whole time and her have an attachment. And she said, oh yeah, she has an attachment. I was afraid for my life in the hotel last night. And I was still laughing and this woman's head's turning around and her eyes were both black. I looked at her and I put my other hand on her and I thought, oh my gosh, we're going to have to do this right now with no one else here. She spit in my face. She called me a bitch and she started grinding her teeth terribly. Now this cute little church lady who's probably in her probably early 60s, late 50s, early 60s is a different being at this point. And I started to sweat. I did what I do metaphysically, spiritually, through Reiki, shamanically, called in my guides and angels, my my staff, my team, and started asking for all the, the help and assistance I could get. And this was a 25-minute battle. And I was soaking wet. She had ground her teeth down so much. I thought there was going to be dust in her mouth. She was contorting her body. Her body was physically going forward and backward by itself. It looked like something was like a, a ping pong ball was inside of her chest going back and forth. And I worked on the ambulance. And all I could think of is if she has a cardiac arrest, what in the world am I going to tell the ambulance crew that comes to get her that I was doing prior to their arrival? So after about 20 minutes, and I, you know, my abilities are very vast. I, it's from spirit. But all of that energy is pouring through me. I'm pouring sweat. I started speaking in tongues. I spoke languages I don't know. I've never been trained in. Um, you know, the lady that her poor sister's standing there, she's crying. And I said, pray every prayer that you've ever known. I need help. You need to help me. And this woman's head turns around and says, get that shit out of my pocket. Like in the worst electronic demonic voice that you'd ever hear on a scary movie. And I'm like, oh my God, what's in her pockets? And she said, I put the sacred heart of Jesus in one pocket and I put the olive branch cross in the other pocket in the hotel last night. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I said, get it out. She said, get it out. I said, yeah, put it on her skin. So I had her assist me. She held the sacred heart of Jesus on the front. I held the cross on her neck. I said what I needed to say. I did the rights I needed to do. And this woman fell to the ground, choking, coughing. A smell came out of the bathroom. She went to the bathroom and she was dry heaving. A smell came out of the bathroom. I can't even describe to you. It was smelled like death mixed with just a wretched smell. And I felt it go past me. And when she collected herself, I was exhausted. Her sister was beyond emotionally exhausted. And she came out and looked me right in the eye and said, was that the devil? Now, I'm not going to co-sign any BS, whether it's cosmic or galactic or demonic. And I said, well, it wasn't God. And that's how we're going to leave that. Well, the next day when I called to check on her, because they had returned home to their home, which was about two hours away. And I said, hey, I was just calling to check in. You know, how's your sister? She said, she's doing well. Let me get her. I'll get her on the phone. I said, did you, did you notice anything leading up to this? Was there any, any signs? I was just curious because, you know, I really, I really was perplexed as to why this happened to you. 
And she said, you know, now that you say that I haven't had a bowel movement in two weeks, I had a, a, a very large one this morning. My, my body wasn't functioning. And, and when I say that to you, she said she could feel, she was telling me she could feel her body slowing down on the inside. The other thing that she did that she found odd is she called herself a bitch when she passed by the mirror. And then her sister got on the phone and said, hey, tell her about us being at the Basilica the night before. And they were at a, a local Basilica. She could not swallow her communion bread and she could not say the Lord's Prayer. She had to go outside. She got ill. And I said, that was a, that's a pretty big sign. And she was able to say the Lord's Prayer the next day. And she's doing great. She's not had any recurrences. Um, she got to retire thank goodness. Uh, but she is very empathic. She was healing a huge soul fracture. Um, she was never able to have children. So that's what we were working on that day, retrieving a soul fragment that, you know, she had resentments and she was around elementary school children. That was her job. So I believe from her reports, there were so many incidents going on in her school and it's a very low vibrational area, very low socioeconomic area. And I believe she just sucked something in at school. And, you know, it's it was scary for everybody. They may talk about it someday. They, their whole family's thankful. I'm thankful. Um, but none of this is is me doing this. This is spirit coming through me. I, I can't take credit for this. I'm just the vessel that it comes through. I'm just aware enough to, to ask for assistance and to know that this is possible. So... You know, this is so vast, it defies our own understanding sometimes. If someone were, and I of course have to ask this question, so if someone were to say to you, well, I don't believe this, is there something that would convince me 100%? Is it as easy as taking them along and showing them or recording the situation? Uh, because obviously there were witnesses to the things you just said. And you know, there. Are, I'm sure you've dealt with plenty of them. There, there are a lot of skeptics out there who immediately would not allow any of this in, tell you you're crazy, you're either making it up or that woman was crazy. What would you do? I'm not even going to ask what you'd say to them. What would you do? And obviously it's not your mission to convince them either, but what could you do to, to show them that this is a very real thing? I mean, we definitely could at some point maybe offer testimonial from this, this lady. She was, you know, she's recovering still. This is a huge trauma. Having an attachment is, is very difficult to, to come to grasps with energetically, metaphysically, uh, spiritually, like, you know, there's, there's some doubt in God or belief system. It doesn't even have to be God. It could be any belief system, but some fracture or cavern in a being that allows something like this to have a foothold. So you know, other than a testimonial, we could record it. Um, there's a lot of times it happens on location too. People are overwhelmed. And I'll be honest with you, we probably have a few of those on, on film. And it's, it's about people's privacy though. I've, when I met Dave, I said, I've been doing this for years. I've been boots on the ground. I'm behind the scenes. I don't talk about what I do. No one knows what I'm credentialed in. People come and seek me out. And I feel like they find me because God, spirit, source put me in their path for a reason. Or somebody knew somebody that knew me that knew that I could help. I have clinicians and doctors refer to me very often because I have a niche practice. I mean, I'm a psychic medium who had five near-death experiences, who's a therapist who can treat experiencers. So, and, and I can exercise them, heal them, clear them, and bless them. 
and and give them the appropriate strategies and and, and skill set to develop their own abilities. So, I mean, it's almost like people would have to come with us to an event, have their own experience, um, see what goes down. We've had we've been doing this. We, we can I talk about this? Is it okay with you? Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've been doing events and and I really like them because a lot of people that I know and I treat and that have been in my clients want to bring a skeptic. And and I I love that and Dave loves that because we both know what can happen. And a lot of times they leave there an altered being. They're changed completely forever. More times than not. <laughs> yeah. I mean we have great data that speaks to this. And I mean it's it's we can prove it. And these, the beauty of it is we don't have to. They, they speak for us. They tell their story. And that's how we approach this location. They've had a great idea about bringing some people in and saying, okay, let's do some pre-tests and post-tests and see what, what's really going on. Let's see how they feel when they get here and how they feel when they leave. Wow. And can you imagine a world that, you know, if you could describe to me in short, that once this is accepted on a much larger scale and healing begins, what would the world be like? And you, and you could just, you know, it's hypothetically speaking, we don't know, but if people like yourself and Dave were able to heal a large amount of others, what would the world be like? I think John Lennon said it best. Just imagine if we didn't have the hate and the fear, we could be one collectively, consciously open, non-judgmental, compassionate beings, things would be so much higher vibrational, the lower level vibrations would suffocate. It's very difficult to imagine. You know, um, we've seen depictions of it in, 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 in religious tomes and fiction you know, you see nothing but a serene vision of how people are uh, down to what they're wearing. Their locations are very simple. There's no greed. There's no anger. Um, it's just hard to, it's hard to really imagine it as a realistic scenario because the world is the antithesis of that. The world we live in is very different. In fact, we ignore how bad it truly is. There are beautiful things here, yes, but there are worse things and the worse seems to overpower the situation right now. And what I'm hoping for is what you're describing, because I would love to witness that and experience that. That would really be something. Uh, but it's difficult, I think, for most people to imagine. It's really hard. It's so what, far from their reality. When the collective comes together and we only have to reach a critical mass so we can tip the scale and we're close. We're so close. I feel like we're there in higher dimensions and it just has to come to fruition here on this plane, vibratory plane. And I feel like, you know, Martin Luther King said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Only love can do that. So love is a very high frequency. It's very high vibration. So the level of energy, the level of creation energy that the problem was birthed in does not contain the solution. We have to shift into higher realms to get that solution. And I think the word solution should be spelled S-O-U-L, solution. Because once we start 
treating people in that soul center, the world heals. Yeah. And we're, you know, if say if we help just one person and then that person helps one person or two people and those two people go out and they help five people and, you know, we're creating that snowball effect and that's what, we're, that's our whole mission. That's what we're trying to do. That's a great way to wrap that up because it's synergy. That's actually synergy. Yeah, it's synergy. There was a newer version of The Twilight Zone in the 1980s. I don't believe this was a remake of an older episode, but it was about um, this government program. And there was a dimensional portal where a few soldiers got lost. So they sent in this general, you know, he was, his life was going down the tubes and they send him through the portal to go find out where these guys went. Ends up in a place where what you're describing, there's no hate, there's no anger, there's no greed, jealousy. And the other soldiers are living there saying, we don't want to go back. And they called it heaven. Okay. So this guy's on his mission and he's trying to do his duty to his, his superiors. That's what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to come back, get these guys and send in other, but he ends up being so absorbed by how beautiful it is that he does defy the, the higher ups at the end and closes the portal and lives there forever. And just that idea and what you were talking about makes me think that it's certainly not impossible, but perhaps it might have to be a situation segregated from the people that don't want it, that would never want it. You know, it's not within, it's not within their makeup to want it, you know, unless there's some other way to change everyone or everything. I mean, obviously we might be dealing with other planets too, you know, so I would love for that to happen. Maybe we do go to another planet. Maybe we get an option to shift to a higher vibratory place, whether, you know, that's yeah, interdimensional or multidimensional, however you want to look at that, or even through the densities. But, you know, everybody has this option. It's a soul path choice. So if you want to heal, to vibrate higher, to understand your purpose, to feel connected to whatever that is, good orderly direction, God, source, creator, whatever you want to label it as, there's hope for everyone. I've worked in drug and alcohol for too long in law enforcement to know anything contrary to that because I've seen people at the very lowest of the low and they've walked out of there with their souls intact and their head held high. Anything is possible. And there is a spark of whatever that is inside of us and there's no limit to what that can do. Well, I think he's right. too. There are those people out there that are going to sit in the low vibration, sit in their dung, as you say, all the time and not do the work. There's always going to be a few of those people. But as a whole, everybody wants to heal and everybody wants to ascend, I think, for the most part. And that's what we're trying to do. You know, as many as we can help, we're going to help. And hopefully it spreads like wildfire. It's a, it's a lot to take in. And this location is at the, you know, it's the latest location. At It's at the center of your study right now and your practice. And it's representative of so many things that I've seen throughout, you know, my life in fiction um, or ghost stories I've heard. I mean, even the Amityville house is said to have been some really bad ground. They said that that was an area where the natives in the, the, that took their sick, their dying, and their insane to that area. It just had a bad vibe to it. Um, or at least that's, that's what's on the record for places like that. And so many other stories throughout history have told that this is just a bad place. 
and what a bad place is, I think is like the definition of that and the, the, the symptom, the reason behind it is what you're trying to discover so you could ultimately heal it. And I think that's yeah. fantastic. And those, cause those families are suffering, you know, and that's our job. We look at it as our job to go and help those people as much as possible and help them heal and help heal the area. So nothing else happens. Are the families in the area open to your methods? They actually agreed to this yeah. because they are um, my clients. So, I mean, both of those, there's three families on the road that I have treated separately that know each other, but they didn't know any of them were seeking services with me. They all know that now from their own sharing, not from mine. Um, my job is to maintain their confidentiality, but they talk amongst themselves about this and and that led me to start understanding this is far more than what meets the eye and and you know we think somebody should do something about it right and and one day i just kind of thought huh, i i better be that somebody because i don't know if anybody else is going to do anything so i called dave and dispatched him up here to to pennsylvania <laughs> and the rest is history wow and i i you know i I'm cautious sometimes to go into places like this, you know, once again, because if you, like you were saying earlier, if you're not spiritually or energetically prepared for it, it, you, it might absorb into your, your being one way or another, like it's doing to the people that live there. Well, here's the thing too. Um, I've been, I've been a psychic medium for other uh, investigators or agencies we'll call them that have hosted me to read locations or be the psychic medium. They do not have any healers in tow. They do not know how to help people who are empathically experiencing a location, process that, um, address it, clear them, help them, teach them and help them be armed with this information. So I see Dave as like a tactical trainer for me. <laughs> He's a, uh, He's brought a, a whole world of, of information and value and experience that he's able to help me hone my craft. And together, we're really able to help people come into an experience, have the experience, leave there just as good as they came, if not better, with a different understanding and viewpoint. So we really were offering something very unique, I feel. Yeah, and we have methods that we use to clear people and everything before they leave. Mm -hmm. So we do, there's a whole bunch of things that we do when they get there and when they leave to themselves and their vehicles and everything else. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have a system in place that we utilize that works really well. And do you, would you mind talking a little bit about that before we move on to the last uh, part? Like what, what methods do you use to clear people, uh, especially these are people in your team, right? Uh, no, well, we do. We bring other people in just to, you know, in some instances, not all the time, obviously, but um, we bring other people in to ex have an experience because there are people that have, like we've brought people in that Jen has trained in, in Reiki and everything. Right. So uh, we want them to utilize their skills in a situation like this, too, because it's training in a sense. So. Um, you know, we feel that's important because those, they are going out doing similar things to what we are and they're helping people and helping locations too, because they're all trained under gin. So, you know, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to educate the masses 
and um, also heal the land and heal the people that are experiencing these things. You you do believe that these bad grounds, you know, that these these lands that might be tainted, that again, you know, ancient cultures have talked about pretty much since human history began. Um, they've been afraid of certain areas, certain parts of the forest, certain parts of land. You know, in this country, we've heard all those native stories about, you know, you don't go here, you don't go there. This is just, you know, the ground is sour, like quoting Stephen King in, in Pet Cemetery. You know, that was an ancient native burial ground that was just bad ground. It's been referred to for years. So obviously it's something, you know, it's part of our history and part of our folklore. And now you're at a location that has that. You'd ha- you've had visions, and I'm just kind of having an overview of everything we talked about. You've had visions of, of what may have happened there. Have you done also some hard research as to what, what happened there outside of the things that you know in modern times and, and the houses and deaths that have happened? Did, were you able to find archives of anything that may have occurred there? We're, we're looking into that. Still, we have a Native American expert of the local area working with us right now. And she's doing some digging and we're talking to a local historian uh, about the area and the tribes in the area and, and just to see, you know, what we can dig up on that. But the only way to really do that, is, there's no, so most Native American tribes do not have a written history, which makes it extremely hard. It's all orally. Sure. It's not as easy as it sounds. Yeah. There's no archive. of All we can do is talk to the elders if they will talk to us about it. But if there was some bad juju that went down in the tribe, they usually do not talk about it. Um, luckily, we have we both have some Native American in us, so that gives us a little bit of leeway. But in a lot of cases, they don't even, they're like the old timers like my grandpa that refuse to even talk about these things because they feel it brings it closer to them. And they don't want to address it, you know, a lot of times. But we, we do know some, that we do know some Native American tribe. There is a burial ground on where we're at. Uh, it's marked um, uh, Native American wise, and uh, we know all the factual. We have all the, you know, there's n- numerous newspaper articles and other factual things of the murder suicides and the suicides and the drownings, and the, the you know, there's there was domestic violence and all kinds of just pedophilia and all kinds of things. And the windows still hold the marks of the last family. They had some clergy or someone in there and blessed the windows and the oil, the the homeowners felt Mm. it necessary to leave the oil crosses. Every window window in that house at our base of operations has an oily cross on it. And there's crosses on the walls and the doorways where they, where they went in through the house and blessed it. So it's obvious that some major bad juju went on there. Wow. I'm blown away. Just imagining this location, it seems. And and look at it, you wouldn't even think, you know, it's just, it looks like a nice little cabin house. Yeah. That's what I was just going to say. If you could just imagine yourself going down a two lane road in rural Pennsylvania, Southwestern Pennsylvania, you just take a left on what seems to be a farm road, like a, a little offshoot. And you go back into this countryside, this rolling hills and, and fences, and there's wildlife and beautiful nice trees, <laughs> beautiful homes, and this sickness is in there. this land that permeates this entire area is right below the surface. It's disturbing. It really is. Yeah, as an outsider just driving through, you would never even real think to realize that this kind of bad 
all these bad instances happen here, these murders, these suicides. But, yeah, these I mean, it's usually the case. It's always the seemingly benign place that that has a problem. I mean, you know, I mean, unless we go back to you know, universal horror stories and stuff, it's the dark castle where Dracula lives or whatever. But, um, you know, in this case, this is this is a place that should be a good place to be, but it's not. There's something, there's an energy that surrounds and that's beneath it that is inspiring these things to happen that we don't fully understand. But I think, I think some of us understand more than others. For instance, the victims of the place, if you want to call them that, don't really know what the hell's going on until somebody tries to explain there's something much more here than than what you're what's meeting your eye. It's not just you. It's not just the conflict that's happening. There's something more inspiring this. And and we may be able to talk to the last family. They have not returned my communication yet or the landowner's communication about wanting to participate in this project, but a huge amount of healing would occur if they did accept that. But going back to what you said about the land, you know, shamanically native Americans are inclined to heal the spirit of things, whether it's a living person or a past person, whether it's, it's land, it's, it's a Mm -hmm. river that there is a spirit of that land that is sick and it needs healed and it's asking for help. So, you know, the symptomology is the call we got and the land is suffering too. So there's so many layers of healing here and so many layers of understanding. And we, I I feel we both feel obliged to do that. That's our, our spiritual legacy, metaphysical legacy, our body of work. That's what we're going to leave behind. We're going to leave the world better than we found it. Well, I really appreciate it. There's obviously so much more to do in your realm and, and I wish you well on this journey. And I'm looking forward to hearing more about what happens. And, um, I've already asked Dave these questions on our previous interview. So I'm going to ask you, Jan, uh, if, and I know you believe that you do, but if we were certainly able to retain our consciousness on the way out of this physical existence, what would you take with you? And there's no right or wrong answer. I would take my Merkaba. That is the personal hard drive of the soul. So that retains all the collected wisdom of the soul's journey in this incarnation. To the Witch. I'm your host, Christopher Garitano, and I want to thank you for joining us for tonight's conversation. I often wonder and suspect if there's a greater, more cosmic influence on the behavior of human beings. As much as I'm a firm believer in taking responsibility for your own actions, I do believe, in some cases, that there are energies currently unknown to scientific explanation that motivate people to commit unspeakable acts as much as the darkness surrounds us. 
there's also the dawn of each new day. So, until our next night together, try to enjoy the daylight. <laughs>